Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. And I just had, my brain just froze because I was like, wait, do we talk about the guests first? Do we talk about it being the 50th episode first? Or two years. We have, it's it's a <laughs> smorgasbord of celebrations. Wait, now are we leaving this in? Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> we are now. Here we are. We're in the podcast. We're doing it. <laughs> We're already inside of the podcast. It is 50 episodes and we still stumble through an intro every <laughs> single time. <laughs> So I guess we have we have a lot of landmarks this episode since it is our 50th episode and it has been two years. Is that I did not. Well, so stop me if you've heard this one before. (laughs) About two years and uh, like five days ago, if I'm if my math is correct, I could be wrong. uh, We started a podcast. (laughs) I can't do this. I can't do this seriously. Well, so the other momentous occasion is that our guest this week is Mr. Arnie Niekamp, who we had asked, I think, about a year ago. Two years ago. It wasn't. No, it was not two years. It, it was, was last. Gen Con. It was Gen Con 2018. Well, we didn't ask him formally until last January when he was okay. quite busy. So Fair. <laughs> it doesn't count if you ask somebody in an informal situation. That's everybody asks somebody to be on their podcast, right? You have to okay. you have to mean it in an email. <laughs> sure. Yes. You have to solidify the agreement. But I, I guess maybe for our 50th guest, we thought we would get somebody cool and very tall. Is that where we just sort of progressively find? finding taller podcasters over time to have on as guests, maybe. Yeah, because I, I don't even know what to talk about is the thing. We could talk about the guests. We could talk about, like, the fact that we've been doing this for two years, which is wild. Like, there's too many, there's too many things. Well, I mean, this is very meta that we're talking about what we want to talk about in the podcast, where we talk about things. So I guess it's very fitting, then, that our topic for this episode was meta-narrative or metafiction, but basically talking about, talking about stories, which is a weird spiral of things. Well, we want the podcast to be like a Russian nesting doll where there are just progressively more complicated topics the deeper you go. How abstract can we get? We'll see. We'll see what the <laughs> next year brings. And I do want to say something that I did not say in the course of the episode because I didn't want to break the flow, but I did not actually intentionally set Arnie up to do something which he does relatively early on in the course of describing his own podcast. That was not deliberate. That was just me being a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, honestly, aren't the best moments the ones you just kind of stumble into like that? Yeah. yeah. I walked out to the pitch and I set the ball up there for him to hit. And I just thought it was garden art, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like, we we could touch on the fact that, like, you do a review podcast in addition to this. So like a part, big part of what you do is like metafiction. And I've always been sort of like a theorizer of like, that's also been how I've engaged with my own art and other people's art, right? Has been sort of not getting so deep in the weeds of like fan theories or like, (laughs) you know, sort of like, though, let's say like Magic Tavern's definitely got like a murder board feel going on there. And not, (laughs) not, except not with the murder, the like conspiracy theory board, maybe that's, maybe that's, a better word for it but you know like it's exciting I think as a listener of something or a reader of something like to sort of feel like you're piecing together a puzzle or working on something that the show or whatever is kind of laying out there for you like you're you're solving something in a way and and it's definitely like it is not the end-all be-all way to engage with media but it certainly is an exciting one for for me and I, I think and I can say for you as well, considering <laughs> considering that we bonded over that very early on in our friendship. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly, um, I definitely have a murder board for pretty 
pretty much everything. And I do call it that because it is the the fastest way to refer to it. Um, The bulletin board that I'm standing in front of covered in in random scrawlings that probably have very little to do with the actual content that I'm engaging with. And and that's something I'm very aware of. I mean, I I know that, uh, that I'm in this weird space between the creation and the creator and my enjoyment of it. And I'm trying to sort of juggle all of these things at once and make sure that they don't affect each other in a negative way, but only in like a positive constructive way but i i do and i and i do have that kind of this is a puzzle that i need to solve way of engaging with stories which can sometimes be a very bad habit and that's something that i'm very conscious of (laughs) um that you know stories are not actually a problem to be solved most of the time but that doesn't mean that if that's the if you want to sit in the corner and do a rubik's cube while the story is going on i think you're you're allowed to do that well and i think a lot of times too it it is very it can be almost very introspective of a way to engage with a story because it's like well what are you putting into it and what are you gleaning from it and what does that say about like your interests you know whether they be reflected in your own work or just in your life like I think it's a really good way to sort of like sit back and go like oh right these are the things that are important to me or these are the things that are striking a chord with me and this is what I'm then sort of putting into that or or adding on t- on top of it and then taking that and going like okay cool so what does all this say now like I, I think it's a very valuable tool I think a lot of times engaging with something that way sort of helps you realize something that you might not have that you might have like felt or been thinking but like couldn't find the words for and then Mm -hmm. you kind of can see something reflected in something else and you're able to kind of be like oh right that that is the thing I I have that all the time with my own art of like how I want to express myself or what I'm trying to express and it's so difficult sometimes and I mean I had it both being a part of this conversation and then editing this conversation (laughs) going like oh right that's the that's the thing that's the feeling like that I and I never had the words for it before and it's I think a very it's definitely not something you want to get like super I think there's a time and a place for it obviously mm-hmm. uh, I, I sometimes think about the in, on top of all this I also think about like the mystery science theater 3000 rule of like <laughs> just repeat to yourself it's just a show I should really yeah. just relax but like I, I think that's a you know it's a switch you can toggle on and off and as long as you're making sure that your engagement I think is like positive because of that is it can be a really like fun thing and a really useful thing yeah I mean I think it's all about the tools that you get from stories for dealing with your life and then the things from your life that you use as tools for understanding stories and understanding other people. And it's a very complicated interaction, but I think it can be an incredibly productive one. Or yeah. sometimes it's just, you know, it's fun to bond with other fans of a thing by maybe coming up with really weird conspiracy theories about things that you think might be happening in a story <laughs> that are almost definitely not going to happen and you know that. And then occasionally you're right. You never know. <laughs> right. We'll get off this meta railroad. Our meta <laughs> merry-go-round. <laughs> yes. It is, again, meta-narrative all the way down. And we will go right to that conversation. Uh, Emily, do you have an opinion on whether we should just start over completely? Yeah, just, or you can just, just roll it. Like, allow, let's just roll with dogs. it. Yeah, I, I mean, fine. I always support having dogs, honestly. But I will personally, if this is used or not, I personally apologize to the listeners for the occasional <laughs> dog barking. Well, now it's absolutely staying in. So (laughs) basically, all you need to do is introduce yourself, anything you want to say about who you are and what you do. And then if you can tell us what topic you brought. Sure. Uh, Should I just start now? Uh, Why don't don't I then? Uh, uh, Hey, I am Arnie Niekamp. I am host of the podcast. 
podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern, uh, owner of two crazy dogs, <laughs> and also I uh, work for Jackbox Games as a game designer director thing. It's hard to define. Every aspect of my life is hard to explain. <laughs> oh, and my uh, topic is a meta narrative, which I may be using that word wrong, but just uh, this idea of like finding spaces for different stories within stories, where I guess maybe the literal definition of it is more stories about storytelling. I did look this up because I was curious because I think I've used that interchangeably with metafiction and apparently meta narrative is, is tied to some really, really complicated semiotic stuff that made my brain hurt. Uh, so I did give up on that. But metafiction appears to be maybe the more the more specific term of storytelling that encapsulates some a- aspect of storytelling. This is something that I was really interested in and obviously like Emily and I are fans of Hello from the Magic Tavern and we know that that's something that you've incorporated in your work. But do you have like another go-to? Like, is there something else that's influenced you that, that's your favorite example of this that made you think of it as a topic? Um, I mean, I guess I mostly, as a very self-involved person, I mostly am inspired by my own thoughts <laughs> that are going on. Like, so I was mostly, I mostly picked the topic because the way that I have been enjoying things over the last however many years is usually catching myself just creating something within something else basically maybe the one of the bigger examples that comes to mind is like i i loved playing stardew valley i played it on my phone and the story is so simple i think very intentionally so the interactions with the characters are left so kind of open-ended like they give you just enough to fill it in with whatever that it started to seem weirdly ominous like in stardew valley my relationship with the npc that i was married to just started to seem increasingly like ominous and sad and that just started to amuse me basically (laughs) like and so just increasingly that was funny to me and then i just started since i was playing it on my phone it's very easy to take screenshots and then i just started posting pictures to twitter and making like kind of just creating this whole story of me playing the game trying to deal with the fact that I was really worried about my wife in the game that like (laughs) you know I would go out for the day and I'd come back and she'd just be staring at the same piece of art in our house and saying the same couple of things also noticing that one of the other town's people that I I think maybe the two of them probably would be happier together than they would have been with me and so like all of that stuff it just made it a lot more fun for me and so like creating story within stuff like that is i think very fun for me is there like a moment that you can maybe think of as the first time you sort of identified meta narrative element in something that sort of like like that sort of defining moment of oh this is a thing i'm really into and like this is a storytelling element i'm really like about or or has it just kind of been a thing that you've always really enjoyed in other fiction that's a good question i mean i think like as a young young reader i was i really did respond to you know stuff that was meta or postmodern obviously i really loved like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy books and terry pratchett i'm sure there are any a lot more examples of that but also like just as a young writer i think this is pretty common like if you're a young clever person that maybe doesn't have a whole lot to say you just are sort of like well what if i wrote this in second person or you know like you just sort of playing with the form is very appealing because like sort of taking it apart is is like a fun way to kind of like 
I feel like I'm talking about this in a very dismissive way and I don't <laughs> entirely mean it that way, but it's just kind of a way to be clever, you know, until you sort of come up with opinions and observations about the world to kind of fill in inside of that stuff, basically. I think it's an it's an easy in for, for young writers. I think I was probably guilty of that too, like in middle school, like writing things that were really, really meta because I think it makes it seem less daunting, you know, if you can sort of play in somebody else's playground or play in the real world simultaneously instead of just being like, oh, now I have to write this 500 page book that's a completely self-contained world that that isn't influenced by my world at all no oh, yeah absolutely yeah so i i do want to talk about hello from the magic tavern because I, I i mean for one thing this is a self-indulgent podcast so you're 100 oh, percent within your rights oh, to talk good. about it oh, <laughs> but uh since emily and i are both familiar with it i can you i'm not sure if there's a good way to summarize it but do you can you talk a little bit about about incorporating that in in your work at all <sighs> if only there was a, way, a simple way <laughs> to, set, to summarize what the story <laughs> of the podcast is if only there was like i don't know if you know of anyone that knows the words like just a simple set of words that would simply explain what the podcast is oh what could that possibly be man you know but well, if that did exist i think it would make a really good intro for for something yeah i think it would be really good for about a hundred to two hundred episodes and then it would just be a punishment on the audience and honestly more than a punishment on the audience a punishment on the other people on the podcast <laughs> But that said, totally unrelated to that, my podcast is I play a fictionalized version of myself uh, who has fallen through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical, fantastical land of Foon. And I am still getting a Wi-Fi signal from the Burger King. And I, you know, use that to upload a podcast. I record in the fantasy world, interviewing magical creatures and royalty the way I sometimes describe it to people when I'm sort of talking a little bit more about what the joke of it is is um imagine falling into narnia and being like oh finally this is my chance to be an influencer i am <laughs> this is i'm not gonna have an adventure i finally have some content to document that maybe will finally make this podcast uh get some purchase on the apple podcast charts and that's it really i mean <laughs> I have a thought, but Anne, if you had something, please go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to word the question. Um, yeah, that's fair. My advice, ugh, advice. I'm not here to give advice, but my, <laughs> my, the what, what I do is I just start asking a que like asking a question. <laughs> Honestly, bad, stupid, and dumb questions usually are just as helpful. <laughs> Look, you'll get made fun of, but it'll move things along. You'll probably, you'll still get to something interesting. That, I, I, sometimes I'll just start at, just be like, so, um, tell me what's the, and then you hope that the rest of the question comes to you. But if it doesn't, you just sort of trail <laughs> off. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think that the question is um is one that you've answered before, which is why it's sort of like, okay, wait, is there a way to ask this that that I don't already know the answer to? But I mean, I think the audience doesn't know the answer to that. So I clearly hate repetition. <laughs> I would hate to ever say anything resembling something I've said before. That was something I decided for myself when I yeah. fell through a dimensional portal behind the Burger King in Chicago. <laughs> Into the magical, fantastical land of Foon, where luckily I'm still getting a Wi-Fi signal from the Burger King through the Dimensional Rift, which I use to upload a podcast. And in that moment, not only did I start a magical adventure, but I promised myself only to say new things. 
But so, I mean, I think that does dovetail into a question because I think that that repetition, I think for a while it was kind of a like a 90s genre TV device that, um, you know, like the, the beginning of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something, that there would be this repetition and a summary of, of what was going on that kind of set up the story. But usually in, in that context, they would do it in an opening or there would be a theme song where they sang about it or something. How did you decide, wait, I want to include the elements of me describing the story and myself as a character inside of this universe instead of separating it completely. I mean, because you could have just done a story that was about these characters in Foon. And I mean, I don't know, there could have been some kind of magical equivalent of a podcast that, you know, oh, someone on Earth has picked this up. Um, I mean, I think you had a number of, of, of options there. Like, do you know what made you decide, I want to allow this to be to be as meta as it is? Uh, that's a good question. There's a couple different parts of it. And I will answer the ones that I, I will answer some and then I will forget the rest as I go. <laughs> Uh, I mean, initially the very, the idea wasn't like, I want to do a fantasy show. Although there certainly was that because I was like most people like suddenly reinterested in fantasy again, thanks to, you know, Harry Potter, a series of increasingly, uh, problematic, uh, <laughs> authors, but like, yeah, like over, like I had suddenly been like, I'm in, I like fantasy again and like Game of Thrones and all that stuff. I was thinking about that genre, but it was really the whole point of it to me was I wanted to do a chat show, a podcast that was very decidedly a podcast that story kind of snuck in to that, like, or serialized story snuck into that, uh, because I found that that was really, those were the things that I really liked. I wasn't really that interested in doing an audio drama. I was more interested in like, I liked the format of people talking about pointless stuff on podcasts and like using that to my own ends to like to have story was kind of what I was most interested in. It was partly also inspired by I'd done a podcast a few years before, which was actually even more probably a parody of podcasts. I did this podcast with Steve Waltine, who plays Tom the Traveler on Hello from the Magic Tavern, called Mystery Cove, which was almost entirely inspired by not the TV show Lost, but by the podcast that the producers of Lost put out every week to tease what was coming up on the next episode of Lost, which was very early days of podcasts. I had tried to listen to it and was sort of like, there's like, there's almost nothing to this. And Steve Waltine was like, this is great you just gotta you'll you're gonna love it because we were both into lost and i listened to it and i just found it very charming but i also started to like i don't know think about the possibilities of the format of like promotional material and how like if promotional material can become its own story and so that turned into a podcast where steve and i played i guess in that case as well fictionalized versions of ourselves who were the creators of a show like lost but a much less successful one and they were doing a podcast teeing up the next week's episode but you were increasingly aware subtextually that things were not going well on that show that like <laughs> I think it was like the third season. It was, I think the idea was that the first season had been very successful. The second season had been a huge letdown and people were not happy about it. Maybe it took some time off. It was coming back for a third season and they had a podcast to sort of promote its return. And the first episode, they're very enthusiastic, but you can tell from the things they're saying that they've made some horrible mistakes uh, in the first moments of the show, including, I think, killing. Well, this is a weird theme. Killing all the babies in the town. <laughs> 
<laughs> like there's a horrible fire that like just kills so many people and they think it's like this cool turn like for the first moments of their new season and, and you're quickly like no whoever's still watching that show is gonna stop right there and then it's just episode after episode of them like trying to put a brave face on or trying to sell a positive version of problem after problem after problem with this this show and i just really enjoyed doing that and uh and i think a lot of that was in the dna of Hello from the magic tavern as well i have not answered i think most of your questions <laughs> i know i think you did uh i think you did and i i think you you may have been more meta than you realized with that with that podcast because having had occasion to meet one of the showrunners of lost right before the final season aired the fear in that man's eyes <laughs> i think i think this oh, was very sure, much what yeah. their experience was was like as, as showrunners um they certainly favored really meta marketing and i mean they ran an entire arg through lost so so you did answer the question now i'm thinking about lost but <laughs> And I am thinking about it. I would very much like to hear Mystery Cove and I have not, but it sounds amazing. It's okay. It's more a good idea. I mean, there's some, it, I, it's still up, I think, most of it. It's more one of those things where it's like, we're still, it's very slow going. We're still figuring mm-hmm. it out a little bit. There's a lot of really funny ideas in it and a lot of funny bits and stuff, but you know, you kind of have to have some patience through like longer stretches. Like, lo- I don't know, I was going to say something like self-deprecating about Magic Tavern. <laughs> but I don't like if you want it to be I don't know why am I weirdly trying to construct this joke okay. what's it gonna it's be okay. so something like let's all brainstorm this together it's like if you want it to be like ah oh, magic tavern that's already so long to get to the jokes I tried to save that with like turning it into a bit and it almost got there so almost got there there was effort, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have a question here, but I do want to talk about the running theme of sort of playing a fictionalized version of yourself, just because it's something that I often think about a lot in my own work as someone who like makes autobiographical work. And there's sort of a weird overlap of like who you are and then who you're presenting uh, to other people in a performance setting um, and creating a character out of that. I guess I guess there is a question. And I guess it's like, what draws you to want to do something like that um there are a couple things one is i think probably the conscious one was just being inspired by a few shows that i had loved where people played either themselves or very lightly fictionalized versions of themselves like actually two of them are gary shandling shows it's gary shandling show where he plays himself on a show that is very clearly fake uh, and then the more successful and more famous the Larry Sanders show where he isn't playing himself, but it's mostly just like a different name. And, you know, it's a talk show. And, you know, one of the things that was very exciting about it at the time was that celebrities would come on and play themselves usually as very terrible people. And there was just something very exciting about that. And now that's kind of like been done, like it's been all done almost to death. But I just always was so entertained by that that I thought it was fun. And that is also why both with Mr. Cove and Magic Tavern if I'm gonna play myself I'm not gonna play like a like why would I ever want to play a version of myself that is like really awesome (laughs) like like, oh my gosh if I'm gonna play myself I'm gonna play myself as an idiot or something or like like really lean on anything negative maybe to a fault but like I'm not gonna play myself as like hello I'm not gonna. It's not gonna be like Lord of the Rings, where I'm like, you know what? Fuck off, Frodo. The only person that can save Middle Earth is Arnie Neekamp from Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. I have made this dramatic choice. 
Like there's enough literature that is like people just doing like a horrible fan service to themselves, but just to take it a step further and be like, no, it's literally me. I'm not going to come up with a fake elf name for myself. I'm Arnie Niekamp from Chicago, Illinois. So there's a lot of that. Part of it is also that like, I feel like I've talked about this before when I was originally thinking about Hello from the Magic Tavern, like it wasn't originally it was this idea of like it was a podcast in the world and maybe it was kind of like a young farm boy or something hosting a podcast as like war was coming to the world of his town. But it started to become really tortured to think of a way to set up like, what is this podcast and what is like, how are they coming? And I wanted to do emails because that was something we did on Mystery Cove that I really always love and like how do we set that up and eventually it was just sort of like it's a lot more it's just easier if it's someone from earth and honestly to me that's the kind of stories that I'm more interested in like I I like fantasy I like genre uh genres colliding and I like it when I like fantasy combined with you know our modern world I think that's where that that stuff is the most fun and the most interesting so that's kind of why I eventually was like well I want to do the I want to hear this show I want to do this show it's a really complicated weird dumb idea so I guess I have have to be the host because how am i gonna talk someone else into doing that <laughs> right like i can't be like hey i have this idea there's this guy named kevin soretta and he falls through a dimensional <laughs> portal behind a burger king you know or or whoever so also you know embracing the fact that i'm not like i'm not i don't have like a deep bench of character playing ability so playing myself was pretty good i felt like i di- i did a thing where I knew I had three answers and or something or some number. And then I was like, but I'm going to save the really smart one for last. And then I spent a long time on one and I've forgotten the smart one. And for what it's worth, I think your previous two answers were smart. So. Oh, but the other one was so smart. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was something. Ah, I guess it doesn't really matter. But yeah, there was. Eh. The more I just <laughs> wistfully. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. This is like a, adding a meta element to this podcast of like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not not as polished, maybe, which I think is good because it is supposed to be a conversation. It should be a casual conversation. It doesn't have to be like a, you know, you don't have to have an answer in the chamber for any of these questions. I don't think I think it's more interesting to kind of to get to them along the way. Here's the thing, though. I'm mostly upset because I wanted to look really smart. <laughs> I was really excited about the thing I was going to say. If it comes back to you, you can send us an audio clip and we'll, we'll right. loop it in yes. with us just kind of going, hmm, yes, oh, <laughs> in the background. Yeah. yeah. At three in the morning. Bloop. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so it was, uh, uh, oh boy, you know, uh, Borges' Labyrinth so was a really good book. Uh, I do want to, I'm, to, I'm totally running us to a different thing but this is one of the best examples of i feel like i've i I will happily talk about magic tavern like this Mm -hmm. whole time (laughs) but i do want to briefly talk about i think which is what is the best one of the best examples of how i enjoy something else and start to apply meta narrative to it so i don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast cocaine and rhinestones i have heard of it secondhand extensively but i have not yeah. i have not heard it it is a podcast it's basically just a guy like a guy who is a country music fan i think he lives in nashville or whatever and he it's sort of you know it's unquestionably kind of like a derivative of um, you must remember this where it's just one person doing a lot of research telling stories uh about the history of like the entertainment industry and in this case the country music industry a topic 
where I of which I have almost no interest in. But I'd heard that it was good and, you know, the title is compelling. And so I listened to it and, you know, it's I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. It's just one person talking. I like the interplay of different voices. I like more conversational podcasts, but the stories were pretty interesting. And they're just kind of like, you know, country music stories you didn't know and just how crazy they are and how like terrible the terrible things that happen. And so, you know, I listened to it. You know, the production value is not amazing, but I'm very entertained. And then it gets to the end and he does a uh, a segment called like the liner notes or something like that. It's basically like the audio essay is done. And now he's talking about like, you know, well, I got this from here and you should read this book. And also like when I recorded all of that, I didn't realize this. And so all this stuff. And as he starts to go into that part, I'm like, oh, this could not be any more boring to me. Like, if you discovered something was wrong, why didn't you just re-record that part of the thing? Like, it was very strange to me. But he had this sort of, like, you started to sense this heavy weight on his shoulders as he would talk about these things. And there was a kind of, like, almost, like, almost melodramatic quality to some of it and he would say things like look i know some people are not going to be happy that i said this and this about this country music star but you know what i don't care i I couldn't say if i didn't include that piece because i was afraid what people would think it would be bullshit and i would i just couldn't do that and like these weird little things like that just kept sort of piling up like in that and so quickly I started realizing that that was my favorite part of the podcast. Like, and so then I would listen to more episodes and it's great and I recommend it. But whenever we'd get to the liner notes at the end, it was almost like sometimes I felt like I was listening to him have like a small like breakdown or something (laughs) at the end. And it was, I was just like, who is this guy? What's going on? Is he okay? And I I just found it really fascinating. And so like, as I listened to it, suddenly discovering that a corner of the show could be the whole point. It was really fun to me. And of course, in the back of my brain, I started concocting this thing of like some show where it's then it's like, it's the, you know, the footnotes, which is not, you know, like it's very, uh. God, why am I blanking on his name? Like David Foster Wallace, like the footnotes mm-hmm. are the point mm-hmm. point kind of thing. But like just to suddenly have story come out of that, you know, like a show that's just sort of like, hey, I'm going to tell you about the history of yo-yos. And every episode I'm going to go into another story about yo-yos. And, you know, the episode itself is like five minutes long. And then when that is done, it's like, OK, so some footnotes about the yo-yos. It's like, oh, boy, I got to tell you, <laughs> I've been getting a lot of hate mail about last week's episode about the yo-yos and um some of the people some of the yo-yo people have shown up at my house and i've got to tell you stop doing that and i don't know like <laughs> just something like that is just very funny to me and so i'm always excited when i catch myself doing that stuff because it's very fun and i think ultimately what it is is i think there's a natural impulse to create a space for yourself in anything that you're entertaining or or, or anything that you're being entertained by especially if you are a person that creates a lot or is used to create a lot either out of compulsion or hoping for some sense of validation or for healthy reasons like back when i would go and watch a lot of improv shows i would always catch myself being like thinking about myself in the improv show i was watching being like how would i do how how would this be different if i were in this show what hilarious (laughs) thing would i do like ah look at all these threads i could tie these up i got this would be great and it's just kind of like you want to make a space for yourself in things i think you become less content just enjoying 
something and you have to kind of recontextualize it in a way that you are contributing something to basically yeah i have i have a friend who's a television writer who has said that it's basically ruined tv for him because every time he's watching something if especially if it's bad he says he's always he has to be extremely bad so that it's unfixable because if it's fixable at all he spends the whole time thinking oh oh this is my responsibility i have to fix this show so that it's not bad anymore but i think even like as is a fan there's this desire to have a handhold like something especially if you've taken a lot of stories and you start to get a little you know maybe disillusioned by canon that it doesn't excite you as much anymore that then meta gives you a way to get into the story in a different way like whether it's something that's completely done in the phantom space or whether the story is like oh hey we left a light on for you you know like we're, we're doing an alternate reality game that's connected to this or we're doing we're like reflecting on our own story in the way that you would as a fan so it gives you a way to like talk about it and, and access the story which I, I don't I think that was something that really appealed to me about about Magic Tavern like from the start like I think I was also looking for for that like something you can grab onto to carry you forward with a story to some you know so that, like you can think about things that are happening like off screen maybe sometimes and not mm-hmm. just the things that are that are canon oh that's great i mean to me magic tavern one of the things that I, is that i enjoy the most about it and the things that i try to think about is that i like the elements of it being a collaboration and that i think that that's really fun and i'm always interested in it being very open collaboration in a way where like obviously we are very protective of what the show is and we don't just let anything into it but it's also sort of like if people want to draw like i am i enjoy when people just completely recontextualize what aspects of the show are because that's a lot of what the sort of the fun is basically yeah there's something very i think as a creator generally rather whether you're thinking about meta narrative or not you sort of end up thinking about it anyway and you're working with it regardless because like regardless of what you're making you're probably making a sandbox for someone else to sort of build something in again whether or not you're like consciously trying to do that i think it's more successful if you are and you are like you said and like leaving that light on but you know i think sometimes regardless irregardless of that like someone's gonna look at what you make and do something maybe a little bit different with it or you know think about those elements in a way that you know you might not have originally intended and it's it's funny that uh, that i briefly talked about uh, jk rowling without (laughs) really wanting to delve into it Mm -hmm. and like i feel like that's one where like she has like made declarations about the book after the fact and i'm a big believer in like i don't know who cares about author's intent ultimately as a you know I, I couldn't claim to be a smart literary theory person but i always enjoyed literary theory uh in school and what i liked about it was you know people who didn't like it were always sort of like you know they said that that whole thing was about jesus and i don't believe it that story was really about jesus and it's like who cares it doesn't matter if it's really it doesn't matter what it's really about at all it what's fun about literary theory to me is make a case for it come up with some dumb interpretation and then go to the text and find some things to support it and it's interesting and let's just sort of play around in there and sort of see what you can find and sort of make something new within that thing which i think that stuff is very fun yeah i think fans talking about how the plumbing works is always interesting and creators talking about telling you how the plumbing works is never interesting that is true now (laughs) let me explain to you And people want to know, what does pizza skull mean? (laughs) I tell them it's about John Campbell. John Campbell? Is that right? Joseph Uh, Campbell? Joseph Campbell. There we go. Look, it's about Glenn Campbell. (laughs) The rhinestone cowboy. (laughs) 
No, but I think that leads me to an interesting question. And, you know, feel free to address this however, you know, you'd like to. But because now that like meta narrative sandbox space for, say, a fan perspective is way more accessible to a creator, like, does that change the way you think about those things and build your own stories and maybe interact with that? Or are you still kind of very much like, this is the thing we're making and, you know, however people interact with it is how they interact with it? That's a good question. I, I, I don't think I consciously think about it too much. Like part of the whole point of serialized storytelling and for me and of, of podcasts is that there can be a dialogue to a point. And so I like the idea of that being baked in. That was always like the idea of listeners sending emails that could literally help construct the world of the show was like one of the main ideas from the very beginning. Like one of the things I was most interested in. And also like, we sometimes generally like will respond to where we're going with the show out of some vague sense of like, huh, it feels like people aren't into this or something, you know, <laughs> like, uh, so I wouldn't say that we're like, that we're sort of like purists about sticking to our guns or anything, but there's also a sense of protecting it really. Like it's still sure. always going to be kind of our th- thing it's kind of like you know if you see like a second city show or something where they bring someone up from the audience and they're like excited to kind of like get something out of that person but then they will also you can also see them very decidedly shutting them down or guiding them or being like okay thank you and like moving them along like creating a space for that but also being like at the end of the day it's our show and this is what we're gonna do basically yeah i mean i can imagine that that's not an easy line to straddle all of the time of of having some things that sort of cross over into the real world in one way or another either either from fans sort of interacting with the show or vice versa with the sort of like fictionalized version of yourself interacting with the real world in some way that where that line should be drawn so that it it doesn't influence things in a negative way and you keep your creative control must be challenging on occasion is that Uh, true i mean i guess i don't worry so much about i mean i think we're kind of lucky that we're not so successful (laughs) that we often feel like our audience is leaning on us in the way that i feel like can sometimes happen uh, with storytelling you know or also what we base it on is on so little right anyway too you know like the vast majority of our listeners could hate (laughs) something and we maybe will never know and be like oh they are loving craptor let's just (laughs) more of this paper thin character that is just a bad pun like who knows you know like but then also other times we'll hear like one we'll just like there'll be one tweet about something we'll be like I, everybody hates usador we gotta get rid of usador so we mostly you know don't worry about that too much but like as for playing myself like there are aspects of that that are unwise probably <laughs> but you know i I do think that i've talked about this before but like the thing that it does give you that it gives me i'm very partly and we talked we kind of thought about bringing this up earlier and i got distracted by my own jabbering i'm very into creative nonfiction, or i was sort of in grad school like i really like the art of the personal essay and how that it can be closer to poetry uh that's very pretentious you know i can be closer to poetry really which i'm saying is a positive even though i never read poetry but 
like I like creative personal essays and I, I, I found that I wrote a lot more creative nonfiction than fiction. And I think a lot of that is that at the end of the day, as a person who is very non-active, as a person who does not see in himself the proactiveness that you see in stories and that make good stories, would also have a very hard time writing that in other characters. So if I'd be writing fiction, it would always be like very inert or very like... Like nothing would happen. Like even by the standards of literary fiction, nothing would happen. <laughs> and because it was something that it was like I couldn't identify with because I could like make it up. I could just like be like, I'm going to make a character who just one day does something. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not drawing from anything. Like I'm really just essentially writing a sketch basically at that point. But then I was really energized by what you can do with essays where the action of it is what you choose to see what you choose to look at, what you choose to observe. And, you know, it's still very inert, but like the things, like you're sort of curating a journey basically by like the observations that you choose to have. And I found that very interesting. So that is why I don't remember. I felt like there was a connective tissue in my mind. <laughs> That's why I basically play a character who doesn't do anything, but like <laughs> has observation, has bad observations. <laughs> No, I, I think I know where you were going. I mean, like, it's sort of, um, there's a lot in storytelling about where you choose to point the camera, I guess, sort of mm -hmm. metaphorically, which is something that I, I know a few a few TV shows and some films have played with. Of Like, Babylon 5 did an episode that was about the people who were the janitors on the space station, so that, like, all of the, the A stories were sort of happening in the background, and it was just them kind of talking about, like, hey, did you hear what the main character is doing right now? You know, so it's like, a, it's a different a different viewpoint on, on a world or a story that might be familiar, which is which is also like an interesting version of kind of acknowledging that the story exists, I guess, in some way. I think I think you have to to do a story like that. Yeah. And I think I'm a big believer in structure, partly because, you know, as an adult, I was diagnosed with ADD, which was a surprise to me, but shouldn't be. Anyone who's listened to All Over the Magic Tavern should not be surprised that like, I might not be the only one that uh, there may there might not have been anyone on the podcast that doesn't have ADD. But like structure, it really helps like just structure of in which I think is why I'm drawn to very strong premises of things because it's something to latch on to. Uh, and then you can kind of play wildly within that premise. And uh, you don't ha it's harder to get lost. Lost. But then on the totally opposite side of that, if you do get lost, that it's okay and to just be present in it and to find what that means in that moment. So, the, but the structure like is really interesting to me, and I, I I find that structure is very helpful. But the problem comes when, and I I think the reason that a lot of people are really drawn when they're young or not young, let's say forty four, that they are drawn <laughs> towards like postmodern storytelling and all that stuff, is because they kind of feel like all that structure is, is very artificial and very fake. And so, to me, like I, the place I find myself most often is both wanting that structure and then also constantly fighting it like constantly to a fault rejecting anything that feels artificial or feels overly constructed and that is why i think i don't think it's a conscious thing but i sort of have one of the things i've noticed about magic tavern is that if a resolution starts to appear on the horizon to anything even just in a s episode in a scene even if it doesn't matter if someone is like i have come up with a solution to the thing you've been talking about all episode we will jump out the window to avoid doing that <laughs> thing 
partly because it's funny, <laughs> but also because we are probably to a fault allergic to that artificial hand on the steering wheel, trying too hard to wrap everything up kind of thing. Uh, and I think that that's good, but I also think that that's how you end up having a podcast that's like two, four, four or five years <laughs> never accomplished anything. <laughs> but I think that also is kind of where Meta, meta oh, watch me wrap this all up. <laughs> sort of where meta narrative lives sometimes as well, it's where it's just sort of like you both love and hate that structure you're sort of like this structure is really powerful but also i want to like drill down into a part that's not supposed to be important or i want to pay attention to the wrong thing on purpose and and mm -hmm. i think that's where a lot of sort of interesting stuff is sometimes yeah there are so many stories right now that, that everybody has access to i think one of the things that maybe audiences most value is something that they can't predict i mean i know there's obviously some segment of the audience that, that prefers to have things that are safe or some of the times you want to you want to know exactly what's going to happen in the hallmark movie that you're watching because that's the zone <laughs> that you're in but a lot of the time you kind of don't want to know what's coming and you want to, you want to be kind of blindsided by things that happen or that that you know dramatically go against what you think was going to happen yeah and, but at the same time like i think about what i think about all the time is when i was in i don't remember if i was in grad school or undergrad but it was a, a, a kind of an er, probably was undergrad like a kind of early creative writing class and i sort of considered myself a very good writer despite having barely ever written anything <laughs> and i you know we were, had to write short stories and i was and i just wrote like weird jokes kind of you know like the kind of like short story jokes that probably a thousand people have written almost exactly the same thing like i remember one was just sort of literally someone being like he got up and his eyes moved across the room to the window out the window down the stairs and then his eyes you know hailed a cab <laughs> got in the cab <laughs> followed the cab and it's just literally kind of like a joke on you know that expression of moving across the room and then just sort of literalizing it uh which is probably not worth more than a couple sentences but i thought it was pretty clever and it was fun to sort of stretch it as far as i could and my teacher who was probably like a ta who was probably like a grad student or something was like this is great this is very clever this is very funny and then he sort of said to me like you know I used to be really into postmodern writing, but the older I get, and again, this person was probably like five years older than me, yeah. but the older I get, the more I just want a story to break my heart. And I remember at the time being like, what am I, what do I do with that? Sure. <laughs> like what? I don't know what to do with that, but I kind of, as I get older, I totally get it. You know, and I can't just write a story that its main purpose is to break your heart. But like many comedians who have been doing comedy for a long time, I just really want to make people cry. <laughs> uh, but I think that like being interested in both is is good. A joke that breaks your heart, maybe. Yeah. You know, it's like the killing joke, but it's the crying joke. <laughs>
I've been all over the place. I probably should have talked about like uh, Furbies or something, right? <laughs> no, no, no. This is great. I, I'm just like I'm. I'm thinking about this is going way back, but thinking about that idea of like the personal essay and like the creative nonfiction sort of thing. Just because, like, and again, there isn't a question at the end of this. I'm just kind of talking. Um, but just like I think, oftentimes in those scenarios, going hand in hand when you're writing, say, autobiographically or in nonfiction or some way, that your voice is always going to be a part of it and people are always going to build meta narrative off of that and it's a thing where you like see someone relate it like if you write a nonfiction piece or an autobiographical piece and someone relates to it and in your head you're like but i was writing about me and that doesn't make any sense that someone else would see themselves in it but that is like the nature of i think those things is even if it's almost like sometimes when you think you're consciously thinking about meta narrative and like those different lenses that go in front of fiction and creating fiction is that like you almost have like meta meta narrative <laughs> of like of being aware that those things are going to happen i i don't know where this is going i'm just i'm lost in layers i think it's meta meta all the way down yes <laughs> i just think it's interesting i <laughs> yeah, there's not a, there's not a question at the end of that thought. No, I mean, and I find that very interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to. What do you like? How do you, with your own right, you are a like a autobiographical cartoonist. What term do you use for yourself? Uh, I don't even know. I guess comic artist would be the one that I usually iconoclast. <laughs> oh God! Oh uh, 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 no! <laughs> Um, oh, that gave me that gave me bad chills. Revolutionary doodler. I, uh, I, I'm not. I I realize. I'm. I feel like I'm sounding reductive about you. I'm just concocting no, no. this character in my head of someone being like, oh, I don't know what to call myself. Uh, if I had to put a name to it, I'd probably put like I don't know, genius astrator. Oh god. <laughs> this is making me picture oh, Emily god. like as Che Guevara, no. but just holding it like a pen aloft or something. <laughs> wildly uncomfortable <laughs> you haven't answered the question emily i <laughs> you're a comic artist i'm a comic artist yeah that was the, the that was the question but that you do asked. but you do autobiographical work yeah do you find like do you ever find like a tension between like who you are and who you are on the page or who other people interpret you to be on the page yeah absolutely i i think it's what's very interesting is that even when at least in my experience even when you're creating work that is autobiographical or when i'm creating work that's autobiographical like there's still a that is still a slice of a slice of a slice and people are going to pull assumptions from that regardless and unfortunately what it tends to be is like over familiarity <laughs> like someone assuming they know who you are from this tiny tiny sliver that you have decided to you know show to other people or you've decided to create for yourself in order to process something but then there's also those moments of like because I also tend to comic as a way to almost scrapbook uh, and like hold on to you know important moments or memories and but then that becomes a question of like well does this deserve or should this be something that is for public consumption or is this something I should just keep for myself? I, I don't know. It's it's there are lots of different. See, now I feel like super self-conscious because I didn't want to like <laughs> make this about like talking about my work. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, it's OK. I just I, it's it's often in my head because I think about it like basically anytime I make anything. But also it's like that is what I'm putting on a on the page is a fictionalized version of myself. Because even if I try to be as sincere as humanly possible, it's still through a filter. Like, there's no way that it isn't. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I feel like even the more, even even in a pursuit where you're 
trying very hard to honestly recreate yourself, which, you know, which I have done in the past, but is not really a a thing that I'm that interested in with Magic Tavern. Like I am, if anything, my character on Magic Tavern, it pulls details from my life as something to say in the moment. But Mm -hmm. then more than anything, I'm just constantly like reinterpreting what weird things have built up in my character and trying to find some emotional truth in all of that. But even when, yeah, even trying, even when you're sort of trying to be as cue as close to your honest experience as possible, like it's always going to be like a take, mm-hmm. uh, like a construction or, or yeah, like a, a one of the one of the ways you could be. Right. Well, and, and there's so many, you know, different elements, you know, whether it's how you're reflecting on something that day, how you were feeling in the moment you made it or said that thing or performed that day. Like it's so I mean, it's very ephemeral, but it's all of those things are layered, you know, and then someone takes all that information and pulls conclusions out of it, regardless of if you intended that or not. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No further questions. I think I think that's that's probably like always a risk, right? With with anything that I mean, I think it's very exciting to put some element of reality, even if it's an additional constructed reality, into into a creative work. But it, it, even if engaging with it, there's always this kind of complicated space where it's hard to tell where your reality ends and the and their reality begins. Like I think it's an interesting space to play in as long as you're aware that it's there, that you can come up with something that you're like, well, I know that this is the canon of this story and this is what happened, but this is my interpretation of of it that exists separately but is also engaging to me and it helps me engage with the story that that i know exists outside of my head oh absolutely this is probably a hard pivot but is there a form or a way that like meta narrative you would like to see something that explored you know because you mentioned you know enjoying it in like video games and in podcasts like is there a way that you think that like sort of building a meta narrative could be applied to something you haven't seen yet that you'd like to see uh that's a good question i'm not Sure. I mean, I I mean, the truth is meta narrative is something that I really enjoy, but also like I don't know that I would say the world needs more of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like it's a game that I like to play. I I like it more as a process of creation as a in. But I feel like we're probably at a time when there's probably more meta narrative than there ever has been. And maybe it's just me being the five years older grad student being like, yeah, this (laughs) stuff is all good, but I just want something to break my heart. (laughs) Like like anymore, you know, I, I, when I create something, it is probably always overly premisey and maybe too cute by half. Like whatever (laughs) I'm ever going to create my whole life is probably going to be that way, whether it's something I share or don't. But more and more, the things I want to consume, those things like have to be really good for me to like them (laughs) because those have already become their own cliches. Those are already those new structures that that like you're jumping out of the window to avoid because it's so pat or it's been done so many times before. So this is not something that hasn't been said before, but like some at times it feels like sincerity or what is it? Is it like Jesse Thorne had like the new sincerity? Like when maybe that was like 10 years ago, like, but there is a sort of like, I don't know, over less irony is pretty exciting at times anymore. I don't have a follow up thought. I'm just like, I'm vigorously nodding my head, which is not good audio, but I (laughs) like, I'm feeling that. (laughs) Have you considered, and again, you know, 
it's an the audio format has so many challenges and mm-hmm. i think that people should consider like wearing bells <laughs> i went I, I went a long way around to get to that bell joke and i should have just been like wear bells <laughs> no the setup was worth it <laughs> i will say uh the other version though of meta narrative that i don't know if it's probably the version of it that is most common that is maybe not as healthy is the part where people always listen to things so when i was in like uh college or something i had a summer job driving around delivering dry cleaning and i did it in a van that had no tape player and so i just had to listen to the radio uh of which was not something i enjoyed doing but i spent a summer listening to some morning drive time radio like every day and i don't remember what they were called it was like uh like steve and mickey in the morning or something like that <laughs> and i didn't really think that much of it but i listened to it every day and i at times i would just be sort of like hey maybe i'm crazy but i feel like i kind of just want steve and mickey to be in love with each other <laughs> like these two these two radio hosts i was just like i don't know i feel like i didn't i enjoy this more thinking like i think i know they're not saying anything that makes me think this i think steve and mickey would make a good couple <laughs> And again, they never really said anything about that. And I didn't know any, anything about it. And like at the end of the summer, they announced like, hey, Steve and Mickey, you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks because they're getting married. And I was <laughs> I felt very vindicated. I was very excited about that. And that's like a fun way to do. And I think a lot of people do that sort of thing when they listen to this stuff. But the problem with that becomes like it turns into every story has to be a love story. And that's not a healthy thing uh, you know every story has to be like okay so there's a woman in this story but who's she gonna be in love with or <laughs> or there's a okay i get it there's a man and a woman in this detective story when are they gonna kiss like that's <laughs> that is very reductive but there is something in that like you know i listen to podcasts with real people and i the romantic version of that doesn't happen as much anymore i think that is segued into like i think so-and-so is mad at so-and-so <laughs> when i listen to podcasts yeah no i mean it's like it's like people watching right like like it's yeah. it's like sitting outside somewhere. Man, remember outside? Um, <laughs> it's but it's like it's sitting outside, you know, at a mall or something, and watching people are overhearing conversations and constructing people's lives, you know, at least in that way, in a way that isn't going to like harm them in any kind of way, or you know put undue stress on people because you're never going to see those people again in your life but like i think that's something like most people just kind of naturally do because we like we like having stories mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah i mean it's it's a good way to understand the space that you're in and the people who are in it with you like because we understand things as stories I, I don't know who hasn't written like mall fanfic like you said in a mall <laughs> food food court and you just sort of mentally <laughs> think about the people walking around and, and kind of make up something <laughs> maybe this is just me <laughs> I've been posting a lot of mall fanfic. I, I know I could never get the rights to the people that live in that mall. Now I'm just thinking everyone's a fanfic author, even if they don't know it. And I don't know what to do with Yeah, that and it's funny. I guess, like, fanfic is probably, like, the biggest example of, like, meta narrative. And it's, oddly, it's one that I don't engage with a ton, mm-hmm. but I probably should. I should start reading some fanfic. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a lot of it out there. There is a so. lot. Uh, yeah, I would say some of it you might you might not want to. I mean, not not that it isn't anybody's thing. It's certainly somebody's thing, but it might not be your thing. <laughs> I feel like I a fanfic only walks into my world at its most extreme examples. Where it's something where it's like, hey, someone wrote a 
story about cars but what if cars weren't cars they were people and i'm like huh okay i'll read that why do they do that 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 does tend to be the go-to i think whatever is uh in terms of things getting shared like i think people often people who don't normally read fan fiction definitely they find the stuff that's the most left field for sure oh absolutely yeah i mean the fanfic is real i feel like is there like an example of a well-regarded like great fan like good this is i feel like this is a very unfair question because it's making me it's seeming like i'm being critical of fanfic which (laughs) i don't mean to be but like is it probably hard it's probably harder to be good and widely shared yeah it's it's interesting because i think there's less kind of i feel like all of the fanfic that like sort of someone who doesn't interact with fanfic would know of offhand is like infamously bad or it is or it's written to be purposely bad but like there's some sort of weird bubble that like really good fanfic exists in because i've certainly read like a lot of really good fanfic and i'm like man why aren't you writing a novel because this is you're good at this some of them are yeah but it's like it's there's some kind of weird like anonymity to that where like you hear about it via it's just like a recommendation from a friend who's Mm -hmm. like in the same thing that you're into and you like have the same sort of like you know meta discussions about and they're like oh you might really like this too but like there isn't there isn't like a some of them some of them are famous i don't know if there are ones that are I don't know if they're necessarily famous because they're the best. I feel like a lot of the the ones that are really, really good don't get as much traction necessarily because it, it's more often the ones that are really become really famous are about like popular ships. They're often AUs. So they're not they're written in the universe, sort of, but not really. So like there's a really famous supernatural one. I think it's called Twist and Shout. I just remember that Elvis <laughs> is involved, <laughs> but it's like two of the main characters from Supernatural. But it's it's them as teenagers, but it's also in the 19th. 1940s and 50s it's supernatural but it's also completely not it's almost it's it's its own thing like you could right. swap the names around and it would be a different thing which is like how 50 shades of gray happened that was fan fiction originally it's complicated and there there are sometimes i've read uh i tend to prefer things that are not AUs, just because at that point i'm kind of like you have just written an original story which is amazing and sure. i kind of wish that it wasn't fan fiction because i would <laughs> engage with it differently but um you know that's that's like a personal preference thing but i i've certainly read a lot of things that are in the universe of a story where I think someone has has not just nailed understanding who the characters are, but has brought some level of understanding to it that like enhances the way that you actually see the work of fiction. There's there is really good stuff out there. It's just hard to find because the stuff that late night talk show hosts like to read tends to be really shippy, <laughs> self-indulgent stuff that some unpaid 20-something wrote late on a Saturday night for fun, you know? And there's there's a great joy in that, but... <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this sentence, but can we talk about Fifty Shades of Grey for a second? Oh <laughs> I am not really familiar with it beyond, like, the, the basic premise floating through mm-hmm. the zeitgeist, sure. and I, I know that it was, right, Twilight mm-hmm. fan fiction yeah. that was rewritten. So I'm just now thinking, like... It's so funny to be like, so I wrote this Twilight fan fiction and someone, and it's not just the idea that you couldn't publish it as that. Someone being like, have you considered taking the fact that they're vampires out of this? (laughs) Like, oh yeah, the fact that they're vampires is not the most important part of this story. Huh. Yeah. I guess I could like, I feel like that's a funny note to give anyone that ever writes anything about vampires. I love it. Have you considered taking, making it 
that they're not vampires, but just a rich guy sure. and a woman. <laughs> the wild thing is that the re- the reverse absolutely happens too. It's like I, I I'm trying to give a good example. Like here's my Law and Order SVU fan fiction, but also they are all vampires. Um, like there's definitely that stuff that I goes get. The other I way. feel like that's me. <laughs> That is like, oh, of course, that is like, that is why I would write something. But it's, it's like saying like, taking it, it's, I guess it's just like the cars, but they're people thing. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, my daughter really loves Equestria Girls, which is uh, My Little Pony. But what if they were not ponies? What if they were high school girls in a band? And it's not as simple. Look, I'm not going to be dismissive of Equestria Girls. It's not that simple. But but I do. I love I like I want to see I, I just want to engage with. Well, I don't really want to read any of this. I just want to for 30 seconds think about the drafts that became Fifty Shades of Grey. And if there were moments of being like, what if they were werewolves? You know, what if they were goblins? Does that make it? Oh, work? see, now I want to see that though. Goblins don't get their fair share. What if they were all horses? <laughs> that probably does exist. To that be I'm sure exists. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is a fascinating way to um to engage with a story that that fans will sort of figure out. Like it's like trying to recreate uh you know your favorite fast food recipe of trying to figure out what you need to throw into the pot and what you can take out before it ceases to be the thing that it is, and then what it becomes when you do that. It's a very complicated concept that i think a lot of people don't really understand that that people are being so experimental and and strange and trying to figure out how far they can take apart a story into its component parts and what other like robot arms they can graft onto it um and what happens as a result but it is like i I think that that's a a kind of like a metafiction interaction with a story as well it's and it's a real art like just recontextualizing i mean i was just reminded of this because i guess on netflix now hannibal the NBC TV show is on. And it was like, I was shocked to see that it's, it was like the number four Netflix show in America right now is Hannibal, which I was very excited about because I loved the show Hannibal. It's such a weird show. I just, I just love the idea of people watching it, period. It couldn't, you could never explain fully how weird that show is with, with like someone would still watch it and be like, whoa, that's weirder than I expected. <laughs> and I do think about that year all the time that there was a year where if someone had told me your two favorite things that are going to be in entertainment this year are someone decided to make a TV show of Fargo and someone (laughs) decided to make a Hannibal Lecter TV show. I would have been like, there's no fucking way in a million years. I would want to watch those things for a second. But they were both really brilliant and they really elevated those things. And honestly, in some ways, were better than the brilliant versions of those things that had come before. I, I definitely have a tweet somewhere in my in my history that's like, wow, I love Brian Fuller, but really Hannibal the series? And then I did ultimately watch it. I came to it a little bit late and it is incredible. I mean, it, it's um, it's an amazing work of television. It's very much, I think, whatever expectations you go into watching it with, they definitely kind of blew out of the water. Like it's it's nothing you expected and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's really good. I almost wonder if the joy is slightly reduced by watching it on Netflix. Only because it's not the most important thing, 
but there is such a crazy energy that came from watching that show and being like, this is on NBC prime time. <laughs> what is this show? Yeah. It's not even just that like the, the gore and the weird sexual stuff. It's that like, it's a borderline tone poem. Like it's this crazy, like artsy show that ran on NBC for like three years. That's nuts. Yeah. I mean, and it was definitely like the experience of watching it overlaid with the fact that every year it was on the edge of cancellation and the fandom came together and was like no we can't let this happen and managed to save it so I, I think that that too like it, it felt more precious I think as a result that it wasn't just something that NBC was like yes we're totally behind this but the fact that the, the axe was always sort of hanging over the show and and then you knew that they were still getting away with it I think I definitely when I watched those episodes I was like I can't believe they got away with that <laughs> it was probably mostly saved due to weird financing issues that mm -hmm. they were like this is so cheap we almost can't afford not to put it on <laughs> some people in europe paid for most of this so i guess we'll put it mm -hmm. on nbc <laughs> i do wonder how many advertisers wrote in about that so there's a totem a totem like giant tower of people um and we're trying to sell a dodge ram like i don't know if this is going to work it's so weird everyone listening watch it <laughs> It's so weird. Having never seen it, this whole conversation has been, I've been like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Like, because I've never seen like a lick of the show. So Here's it, it the thing. won't get less weird. It's weirder than we're making it sound oh, like. Oh, God. Okay. And it's not perfect. But it's entirely worth watching. When it came out, I was I had zero interest in any Hannibal Lecter stuff. And on top of that, just the like serial killer exhaustion in general. I was like, no, I have no interest in this. But it's just it's wild. It's so weird, and it's it's beautiful. The actors are great, and it's just weirdly quickly descends into just a weird meditation on like identity and like how could you even know who you are and what like it's it's wild it's a weird show now this whole time i've been I, and it's gonna kill me that i can't think of the there's like the it's not a proverb it's just a turn of phrase the boat that what like was coming... that proverb i was trying to think of <laughs> no it's like it's like you know like it's it's that old historical boat where it's like they kept you keep repairing it you keep fixing it you keep changing it and at one point does it at what point does oh, it stop what being point the original is it not yeah. Right. And and that's just what like I've been thinking about just with this whole conversation where it's like you recontextualize something, you tell it in a new way, it has, you know, outside interaction with an audience. At what point does it like stop being the thing that it was, you know, originally intended to be? Like and and maybe that like determination isn't important, but it's just like an interesting thought because, you know, there's so many there's all these elements that end up, you know, informing all of that. Yeah, it's like uh they say a lot of like cartoon voice actors are like a lot of my characters are just impressions I do really badly and then they <laughs> sure. just turn into something else and it's right. just sort of like I think there's always a level of it inspiration and people feel bad when their inspirations are too visible on their sh shoulders but it's always cool like you're always inspired by something and then it sort of churns through the the lens that is just the way you see everything and hopefully if you have an interesting way of seeing things that is not just a collection of references then like <laughs> it becomes something else you know and that's and in a way isn't that meta narrative right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to genuinely say, yeah. Like, no, yeah, I think yeah. so. Look, here's the thing. I, that's the thing. I meant it. And then halfway through, I was like, oh, 
but maybe let's make fun of it also like before you even finish saying it let's bail let's bail on this idea halfway through the sentence that's also a theme for me can we start over from the beginning my theme is uh changing course midway through sentences sure and do you have any um any points you want to hit? Uh, no, I have an after question. Okay, whatever we're calling that. I sure. Don't we don't think we. Oh, we're doing. That. Is there the after show? Hey, welcome <laughs> to. <laughs> well, so this is the interesting thing is that like typically we sort of what's the elevator pitch like sort of at the end of all this for your topic, but like we're talking about something so sort of ethereal that it's sort of difficult to be like so like pitch someone on the idea of meta narrative, <laughs> but I mean if you. Want want to take a swing at that idea you are more than welcome to but i just don't know like i don't think that sort of format really fits because it's such a i think you could also like recommend a work i think that's the the out that's the the ripcord if you have to pull in yeah um you know that if there's an if there's a work that you think um uses this really interestingly that that people should check out you know today i was really trying to think of i i'm there's i i don't know why i was actually having trouble thinking of like a really great examples that i wanted to suggest and i don't know why like i feel like almost everything i consume has some element of meta narrative and i was having a hard time thinking of like a really great one and i don't i don't know i I mostly just kept thinking of things that i like that i found myself playing around with myself you know what i actually do have a good one this is and in fact this it's weird that i couldn't think of this because this is the only book i ever talk about so <laughs> when i was in i don't know if it was in college or grad school and i was very like i said before very into literary essays or literary nonfiction. i read the things they carried and i think that that is a brilliant book similar to fargo and hannibal if someone told me hey do you want to read a collection of essays and short stories about someone's experience during the vietnam war i would say no thank you <laughs> i don't need to ever read that uh, i have no interest in any of any of that but it's great all of the stories and essays are great on their own and as a collection they really play together in this kind of amazing way the most famous story is the things they carried and it's mostly a list of the things that these soldiers carry with them and you know to explain it makes it sound very is very reductive like not only are they carrying these physical things but they're carrying so much more but it is literally about it still actually does work like it is kind of very profound and i know that story is taught a lot in school so most people that are familiar with the book probably have just read that story but and i don't know and i'm sorry have either of you ever by any chance read any of the stories read the book i had to read it for some class and uh like some high school english class and i desperately need to revisit it because it was one of those classes where i ended up hating every book that was taught to us because of how it was taught to us so and it's very possible if it had caught me at a different time maybe it would have hit me in a different way but the thing that i always think about a lot is it's a very weird combination of short stories and essays but the short stories are fictionalized versions of the same things that the essays are true tellings they're not of the same stories but they're like some of these are short stories some of them are essays and there's i'm sure i'm misremembering some of this but there's a story about these you know the soldiers being out and some things going wrong and someone like literally 
drowning like trying to save someone that is drowning in mud and shit basically like uh which again this that doesn't sound like something i would want to read or care about (laughs) but it's very it's very uh difficult like it's very that short story is very sad like kind of and then it talks about people at home like feeling like they're constantly trapped in this and he's talking about this thing that happened to this other soldier that lost this other person basically and then the next piece after that is an essay and it's about the author tim o'brien on a book tour and visiting the guy who had experienced and had never sort of gotten over seeing someone drown in shit essentially and like them sort of spending the day together and talking and kind of reconnecting and and sort of it's this sort of melancholy piece and god i'm probably totally misremembering this but the, the the important part is that he talks about that story and writing it and how it's all true but that he had to change one thing in the story and the thing that he had to change is that the person that was traumatized by seeing this person die was not someone else it was himself and that the only way that he could write that experience was to put it in someone else instead of himself and to see those two things right next to each other and i guess it is it's sort of like the liner notes in uh cocaine and rhinestones where it's sort of like you know you read this brilliant short story and then it's followed up with an essay where it's like by the way those people that was me not him it's like mm-hmm. that shouldn't be interesting but it's very like the way that they work together is very sort of profound and moving and i think really interesting and to a young writer like myself this idea of the choices you make in writing and what why you do it and why they have the emotional why you have to do it emotionally is very interesting i think one of my favorite books and yet i have never ever read any of his other books of which people <laughs> say are all great so <laughs> There's still time. (laughs) I'm very busy. (laughs) And do you have? Yeah. So, oh boy, this is this is a tough one. So I I did think about it, but so usually I spring like a trap, um, a hypothetical question at the very end after that that nice little button. And this is a slightly harder one. I am going to say up front, I'm not asking you to pitch your Fifty Shades of Grey, but Hmm, if you unless you want to, unless you want to, I'm not going to stop you either. But uh, you should probably save that for yourself (laughs) and not an podcast but if you could pick something uh someone else's story or something in the in the real world if, if you wanted to like something historical that you could sort of impose yourself on um and and make something new with it you know sort of play play in that that meta space with it do you do you have something that you think would be a fun sandbox to mess around in oh yeah i mean i have a lot i have a long list i have a lot i have like a constant i have a, a a huge set of ideas on deck that i kind of like mess around with and always half think that i will get around to i'm trying to think which what is the least likely for me to ever do <laughs> <laughs> this is one that i probably i guess maybe it doesn't matter like i still might do it there's no reason i suppose not to like talk about it uh i've always like waltine and i who did mystery cove and is you know just one of my favorite people is very fun to perform with i sometimes talk with him about doing another podcast we're both always very excited about talking about it and neither of us have any time <laughs> at all (laughs) did either of you watch um the new uh, the old or new twin peaks 
Mm-hmm. I actually just uh, just watched it recently. The new Twin Peaks was so weird, <laughs> like totally out of measure with even what the old Twin Peaks was. <laughs> this idea of bringing a show back and it mostly didn't have the characters. And when it did, <laughs> it pun- almost punished you for like being wanting them to be there. And like moment to moment. I mean, the show was mostly about how you can't revisit these things. And also, I mean, that's like the simplest interpret. I mean, I, it, it resists interpretation at all. But it was like moment to moment kind of like, is this terrible? Or <laughs> or is this the most brilliant thing I've ever seen? I have never watched something that I so could not decide what I even thought about it moment to moment. And that was like, I think I liked it a lot, but maybe I hated it. <laughs> But when it happened, there was so much excitement about it coming out that there were a lot of podcasts, including some where people had like crowdfunded like, hey, if we can raise enough money, I'm going to do a podcast where I recap every episode of the new Twin Peaks. And these podcasts, which I listened to a bunch of them because you would watch the show and be like, what the fuck? I need to talk either talk to people or hear people talk to me about it. None of them knew what the hell to, to do with what this show was. <laughs> and some of them actively hated it. And there were people being like i have to do this podcast i don't want to talk about this show what is this and i think there's something very funny about being trapped in this thing what should be like a nostalgia podcast being something else entirely and so basically uh i kind of had this elaborate idea of something along those lines almost like a full house type show that comes back and people or probably not full house because full house did come back just some weird <laughs> sitcom or something coming back but it's so wildly different uh and then that may be like but these people are recapping it and trying to figure out if they like it or not or what to even do with it but then that sort of segues into a borderline like supernatural horror thing that sounds so fun. Yeah. I'm listen to that now. Jeez. Yeah. Like... As someone who does a recap podcast, I would say yes, but that is that is a very real fear, which fortunately I've not I've not had to deal with at all. But, but it, the fear is always there. What if I what if I've committed to this thing and I decide that I don't like it anymore? I mean, I guess my really long explanation could have just been, what if you did a recap podcast, but then it turned into story came out of that that had nothing to do with what they were recapping, which I guess is what Mystery Cove was to some extent. I also like, or just like a show, a show about like pop culture where it's just sort of like, hey, let's talk about the movies of the week. But then they like keep seeing a murder across the street. (laughs) And it's like Rear Window, I guess, meets like uh i don't know the watch or something where sure. just... yeah I, I, I do want to listen to like the podcast down the street from serial you know like... yeah or they're just kind of like really worried or maybe they're vampires across the street or something sure. like this week we're gonna talk about normal people everyone's loving it it's the new hulu breakout hit but also oh shit your neighbors are back they're looking right at us <laughs> But what's funny about it to me is that you that you legitimately review pop culture in the show as well. <laughs> all, all of that sounds amazing. Yeah, seriously. Well, Arnie, thank you so much for taking this time and, and sharing this with us. This was great. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. I know I was all over the place. Also, did I say all of this is off the record? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Uh, <laughs> well <laughs> that's that's fine we're not on a network or anything it's it's fine yeah it's no. all right start over start over let's do harry and the hendersons <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> yeah. 
John Lithgow <laughs> was in a weird place in his career. Okay, now I have the giggles. Okay, wait a second. Cue the theme song. <laughs> uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, what would you like to plug? This is your space, so please feel free to use it. Uh, you can find me at Mr. Arnie, uh, M-I-S-T-E-R, on Twitter. Um, you can find me, you can just listen to my podcast, Love from the Magic Tavern. Also, you know, I, uh, help make, uh, party games for Jackbox games. We, of which there are a lot of them and, um, check them out. We got, I'm sure in the fall we have, we're currently hard at work on a new party pack that's going to be coming out this fall as it does every year. I think that's about it. I'm, uh, I don't know when this comes out and I don't have any timetable for this, but like, I am also working on, I don't know if it's a limited thing, but I am working on a weird podcast. It's very different than anything that we've talked about that I don't know when it will come out. So there's no point in plugging it. I'm just being (laughs) mysterious. It'll be a vague hope for the future. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I like the mysterious ghost plug. That's that's good. It could be anything. (laughs) Here's the thing. Just look. Oh, just go out in the world and look for stuff. Look for a podcast. (laughs) It'll find you when you most need it. It won't have my name on it. It will. uh, (laughs) uh, It will have the color blue in it somewhere. I'm really trying to push this into the third hour. Really, as well. Well, Technically, we don't have anywhere to be, but uh... (laughs) I think my dogs might have escaped. I'm oh, no. oh no! <laughs> they probably just really got into listening to that troll soundtrack. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have any questions or comments, you can always hit us up there or via our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Or you can write an essay about a fictional character asking us a question, but then it's actually you. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave a review about your experience leaving a review on our podcast. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy. (laughs) 